multifamily is the place to be. As I always say, the reason I'm not in office is because everybody now can office virtually. Retail, everybody's buying virtually. You just can't live virtually yet. You need a place to stay. That's why multifamily is going to be here to stay forever. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W-2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you want to become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're going to learn a ton. You will learn from real-life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're going to share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. All right. Hello, hello. Abel Pacheco here, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. We are super excited to have Mr. Reed Bennett today. Reed, hey man, thank you very much for joining the show, first of all. Abel, really appreciate the opportunity to jump on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've followed you on LinkedIn. We've had a few, you know, a couple of challenges that we did together and just have learned a lot in some of your posts. And I was like, man, I definitely have to connect with Reed. He's got an amazing role himself in expertise and what you do. Happy to share it. So thanks for joining the show, man. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Well, good. For those that don't know Reed, let me at least put a little bit of background to him so you have an idea of who he is and why we should be listening. But Reed is, you serve as the National Council Chair of Multifamily Properties for SVN International. So Reed's a licensed managing broker. He focuses primarily on the sale of apartment communities across the Midwest. And also he teams up with members of his council to serve clients around the country in about 150 markets. So to say that Reed understands multifamily is a bit of an understatement. He helps clients with this every single day. And Reed, if I understand right, like you yourself host the Multifamily Minute. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, the Multifamily Minute was just something I I created when I started doing video posts, which it's only been, I was actually just looking it up before the call. I think the first one I did was when I was driving to go get my car washed on a Saturday morning. And that was about 10 months ago. So I've learned a lot through watching, you know, your posts and other people's posts and the challenges to kind of understand what people want to see or hear or how long things need to be. But yeah, it's been the multifamily minute was born, I want to say in December. And then it's just kind of grown a little bit since then. Here they come a minute at a time. And everyone I'm like, oh, that's very valuable. Thank you very much for that. Trying to keep it in a minute. It's tough (laughs) to get everything you need to say in a minute. But yeah, you got it, man. Well, I'm sure every once in a while you need to take two and we'll be happy to listen to it. But uh, <laughs> man, so Reed, you know, garden style apartments pretty well, you know, affordable housing pretty well. Also section eight, section 42 communities. So for some of those light tech investments, I think that's kind of your area, but man, let's just jump in, you know, tell us what you do exactly in your words and how you help others and kind of who you serve. So that way we get an idea there. Perfect. Well. So I track every single existing deal in our markets here. And when I hear I'm based in Chicago 
and I track every every existing multifamily deal, both on the affordable side and market rate side, typically 50 units and above. I have a team here in Chicago that takes up different neighborhoods in the city. We might go down to 12 units in the city, but a majority of my business is garden-style apartment complexes throughout the Midwest. Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, Iowa, we, we focus a lot on those. We do a number of other areas or work a number of other areas. And when I say through the, through the council, we have about 266 multifamily-focused advisors at SVN in, a, what I said, 150 different markets around the country in about 225 offices. Yeah, so it's so a lot of manpower. When you say I'm tracking your company, your firm, your team, you guys are tracking you know, really in every one of these markets from, or maybe you tell us, what does that mean? Like you're tracking all of these deals. Right. So it's, we have about four different systems that we use and we compile all the data from those four systems into a centralized database. Mm -hmm. And tracking just means we have every single deal in existence. We have when it was purchased, who owns it, what the acreage is, uh, how many buildings, who's paying the utilities, what the loan maturities are on each of those properties. Everything that's associated with that property, we can we can figure it out. So we use a yeah. we also use a number of different programs that track expenses in each one of those markets. Yeah, that's pretty cool too. We can do a a pretty good analysis, even if an owner's saying, you know, I'm not going to give you any numbers, but my property, <laughs> which never happens at <laughs> never, in, uh, never fifty units maybe in that area. Huh? Yeah. So, <laughs> so we, we could probably have a pretty good analysis of a property. I have pictures of every deal. And if we need more, then I just, you know, we coordinate with a lot of the boots on the ground in those markets. And, you know, oftentimes within SVN, especially if it's a, a secondary or tertiary market, the advisor in that market might be kind of a jack of all trades and has to do office, industrial, retail, and multifamily. And, you know, they might, you know, go to church with or their kids go to school with the guy that owns the 250-unit apartment complex in their town. So they'll call me and my team in and we'll help them just underwrite the deal if they're not comfortable with that size of a property. And uh, we, we run it simultaneously with them and collaborate with, with all the, the brokers across the country. Ah, there you go. That's pretty awesome. So it's quite a bit of services, much better than finding a project on my own, I would say. <laughs> well, you know, you can do that, but, you know, a lot of times if you're trying to find it on your own, you might be dealing with sellers that are more tire kickers themselves as sellers saying, hey, if I can get this pie in the sky price, I'm a seller. You might waste your time, a lot of your time chasing some of those deals. I mean, we've done it as brokers trying to help people buy off-market deals. We've done it, but it can also take a lot of time if the seller's not really committed to selling. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. So there's a lot of value in going through, you know, broker, a system, team, you know, organization, tracking all the data from sell to expenses and that type of thing. And, and as an investor, I'm looking for as much data that I possibly can have to put me in the best possible position that I don't overpay, you know, initially in my offer. And then I can operate the property well enough to, you know, make my return. So man, I'm tracking everything that you're saying. That yeah. makes perfect sense. I hope our listeners as well. Yeah. And any one of your deals in Texas, depending on what market it is, I could give you some examples of how, uh, you know, my colleagues are tracking them or how we're tracking them internally. Yeah. I'd be happy to send over any data on, on any of the deals you have. 
That's pretty awesome. So thanks. So tell us how long have you been in multifamily and how long, you know, with SVN and, you know, maybe overall commercial real estate, how many years is it? And what have you gone through so far? Sure. Well, I got my license in 2001 and really hit the ground running with, it was a small boutique multifamily firm. That's all they sold multifamily downtown Chicago. And for the first, I want to say five years of my career, I didn't know how to underwrite income producing property because all I was selling was apartment deals to condo converters. They don't care about your underwriting anyways. They're going to reposition, change it around, right? Or anything about that. All they wanted to know was how big, what's the square footage? What's the layout of the units? Can I convert one of the dining rooms into a bedroom in Chicago? That was the biggest thing. So I would just go into the to the apartment units. I would just, you know, in Chicago, it's, it's pretty easy. So all the old 1920s vintage buildings, they're all stacked. So you can look outside a building, you'd say, these are all the two bedrooms on this corner. These are the ones in the middle. So all I would have to do is go in, measure out. We had a laser measure. I'd measure out the units, you know, the, the size of the rooms. I'd go back, tell the, you know, the, the various condo converters. And, and by the way, at one point, I had 176 condo converters in my database on the northwest side of Chicago alone. <laughs> yeah. So it was everybody and their brother during the condo craze saying, hey, look, if I can pick this deal up for 100000 a unit, and if they're selling for 180000 that's an $80,000 profit. Little did they know that they had to put a little bit of money into it yeah. in order to get to that rate. But so, you know, about 2000 the end of 2006, beginning of 2007, that kind of condo craze started to diminish a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember one of our clients, he had a 60-unit apartment building on the north side. And he's old school guy. I've sold him a number of deals since. A great guy. He came up to me and, he, you know, he'd always pat his front pocket of his pants and say, this building's giving me 76,000 cash. And he said that to me. <laughs> and I said... Okay, that's good, but you know, do you realize that you know your building's probably worth seven million, seven million and change? So you're making one percent, you know. And then he said, "Whoa, I never thought of it that." You know, I only thought about what I was putting in my pocket because he owned it for thirty years, yeah, or twenty years, yeah. So, so we got him out of that property and into two garden-style apartment complexes outside of the city of Chicago, basically for zero money out of his pocket, but quadrupled his income. And he's since refinanced those complexes. And I talked to him a few times a year and he just did the best things in his portfolio. <laughs> he, believe he was, he was yeah. only making 76,000 cash. Yeah. I think if I heard four times right, quarter million bucks or yeah. whatever, and then yeah. cash out refinance for those investors that are thinking about it. It's like basically cash out you're not paying any taxes, putting it all, you know, in spendable cash, whatever you want to do with it and still earning your return, which is awesome. So you advise them through that so that, you know, maybe this is a kind of this, I want to hear more about your progression from then till now, but maybe as you're thinking about this, what pitfalls do you help your clients avoid? What are the, some of the biggest, you know, mistakes that people have made and some of the best wins, you know? Well, some mistakes that we, we always try to help people avoid are, you know, just getting in deals where they're not taking into consideration kind of the local nuances associated with that real estate. 
you know, sometimes it's, I forget what it is in, in North Carolina, but we looked at a couple deals 10 years ago down there and we didn't know about the polybutyl something in the pipes. Mm. And if you don't know that and you're coming in, you don't know to look for that with your inspectors. It's just things like that that you need to know within a certain market. And then you also obviously have to know how the taxes are established, the real estate taxes, because yeah. we've seen that be a downfall of, of many people. Yeah, is it is it millage or is it percentage of last yeah. trade sale or what, you know, all the different areas, right? What yeah. happens in San Antonio, Texas may be very different than Chicago and then specific market, submarket, right? Absolutely. We have to figure out who's chasing the sales, like what municipalities are chasing them. And, you know, it's pretty interesting to see in, in Illinois, for sure, it's very difficult to figure, figure out what a, your real estate taxes could be moving on. Some areas, it's, you know, one and a half percent of the purchase price. It's very simple and straightforward. Many of the markets, it's, it's kind of difficult to figure that out. Yeah. So these are good things to have an advisor like yourself to, to help them through. And then, you know, if I'm buying in multiple different markets, like, is it your advice? Hey, talk to a good advisor. They can recommend, you know, in every single market that I'm looking in to, to help me with things like, like this knowledge that I may not have in Illinois or what, what's your advice there to, to an investor? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you are not working with a broker or advisor that can help you in those markets mm-hmm. within their own company, hopefully they have, you know, brokerage contacts, even with the competing firm. I mean, oftentimes if I'm trying to serve a client that's in a market that I'm not in personally, and I don't feel that somebody even within my company is an expert in that market, I'll make sure I try to stay in contact with experts, even if it's with a competitive firm. And I'd refer it that way just to make sure the client's in good hands. You don't want to go into markets blind. Yeah. How can an investor like me tell who's good and who's not? I'm the new guy. I'm coming in and and I'm like, man, there's brokers everywhere and advisors. I, I don't know who to trust and I don't know who to go to. And, you know, any, any advice or insights there? Well, I think that with every broker, you should ask them for client testimonials, actual, not just ones that they have up on their website that they filled in themselves, but actual, you know, a book of client testimonials on the client's letterhead and signed by the client. Those to me are always helpful. You know, we present those to a lot of the owners when we're trying to list their property, even if they're buyers, if they want to see them, we'll hand it to them saying, look, here are situations with other people. And we've also asked for all of their, you know, authority to have a buyer reach out and call them direct. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Due diligence there. I mean, that's one thing that should be pretty easy to do because, you know, if one person has a bad experience with somebody, they're typically not quiet about it if you're asked. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah. I mean, that's something that we do. You yeah. know, if we have a, a call for offers, or if we have a number of offers on a property and it gets down to four or five different groups, you know, we ask them for references and the references, the best references are the previous sellers of the last three deals they purchased. And we'll call them say, yeah. Hey, you know, how did you like the process with, you know, with Abel and his crew yeah. when they came in? You know, and if somebody had a problem where, you know, the 11th hour, these guys retraded them and, and totally had their backs against the wall, they had to close or they were going to default on their loan or something. Yeah. Not going to be quiet about how they operated. The other hand is they said, look, they did everything they said they were going to do. They didn't retrade me. And they did everything that their LOI said. Then, you know, those, those are things we like to hear when we're trying to decide 
which is the best fit as a, for a buyer for some of our selling clients. Yeah. For all of the new general partners right there, there's a, a nugget. You need to just rewind it where your broker on the accepting offer side, you know, may ask for some due diligence on you as a buyer. There's three or four offers. They're all really competitive and one has, you know, a strong track record. Who do you think they're going to want to go to? All right. So just easy way, it's an easy there. way to kick out a number of people. If you have, you know, a dozen offers to sift through very easy. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then as I'm the, you know, the buyer looking for the right advisor, you know, just tried, trusted, true, and get some referrals, talk to the people that have worked with them in the in the past. And, you know, I'm sure great broker advisor can help, you know, provide many of those references on how you've made them money and how you turn a 76K a year into two quarter million bucks, right? <laughs> so that's that's awesome. So anyways, sorry to get off track for a moment, but 2001, you're doing kind of conversions, you're not really doing underwriting, and then things shifted. You know, tell us about, you know, today and, and how that come around to what you're doing today. Hello, hello, this is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. After listening to a few episodes, deep down, do you know that multifamily and commercial real estate investing is one of the best ways to create financial freedom? If you said yes to that question and you are where I was a few years ago, then I'd absolutely love to connect with you. A few years ago, I started personally consuming a ton of real estate education. I traveled all over the country, as many real estate conferences and seminars that I could go to. I took 200 plus hours of real estate education. I spent thousands of dollars along the way. And I did this because I knew the path to financial freedom for me and my family was through commercial real estate and syndication. So if you've made a similar decision, I'd love to connect with you. And potentially in the future, I'd love to partner with you as well. Take a moment, go to 5tcre.com forward slash invest, and I'd love to set up a time to talk. Sure, sure. Things shifted then. That's I knew I needed to get a little more. I graduated college not with a degree in finance, which I wish I did. Yeah. It was totally unrelated. It was biology, corporate fitness. And I, I started getting into business classes on my last year of college. And so I knew I needed to get ramped up. So that's when I found the CCIM courses and took the whole CCIM course one through four and, and learned a lot there on how to underwrite. And I got more into the underwriting and then looking. That's also, that's another reason I'm in multifamily. It's once you can underwrite an apartment complex and really know the intricacies, you pretty much can do it all over the country. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's just a lot easier than the office and the, the retail and the industrial and the leases turn over annually so you can adjust quicker. So it just, it seemed at the time that that's what I wanted to really focus in on. So that's when we started tracking the, the apartment complexes because a majority of them in the suburbs and the, the secondary markets were never going to be converted. And it was always going to be an income uh, evaluation. So we got more into that. We went from those deals that we sold him into another 144 unit deal that we were actually selling to the seller. He had a 1031 exchange from selling those other two deals. Mm -hmm. So we found him a 144 unit deal. And that deal it was eight, I'll never forget it. It was 18 buildings. It was from the original developer and he tried to condo convert. So this was at the back end of the condo conversion kind of 
market and he tried to convert one of the building 18 and he did it he tested it and he it was so soft out in that market that he just couldn't sell them so he said i'm just going to put it i'm going to put them back on his rentals and he was getting 150 bucks more and he had only put three thousand dollars a unit into it you know just changing out the fixtures and maybe updating an appliance or two so right there that was a perfect example of if you just put in three thousand to five thousand dollars a unit, you can get a hundred and fifty dollar pop. Multiply that by one forty four times twelve, cap it out at a, a six cap, and look at what that value is that you just added to that property. The first one that really opened my eyes to, you know, even a light turn. I mean, I'm not talking about huge value <laughs> add. We're talking yeah. light light turn. Yeah, which you know became all the rage and. 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, everybody wants value add. Give me a value add deal. But that's that was one of the examples that, yeah, that I yeah. really saw it happen. Let me pause you here for a second, right? So for those that didn't hear, CCIM, Certified Commercial Investment Member. So Reed spent a number of you know hours, coursework, time, educating himself on the underwriting, which is basically the analysis, the financial analysis of doing the deal. And when you have that you know education, that mindset, not, no one's ever going to take that away from you. In fact, he can now apply that across many multiple markets, which is why he said, hey, I'm going to focus on this, right? And then to cap off kind of the last point, right? So let's do the math together, Reed, what you're talking about. So they spent a $3,000 unit increase, which is 144 units, right? Times yep. 3,000 bucks. So this math, the investor put in $432,000. It's almost half a million bucks. It's a lot of money, right? Like, but you, you take a hundred and forty four a hundred dollar increase, right? It was a, between a hundred and one hundred and fifty. Okay, so let's just use one twenty five. A hundred and forty four right. times one twenty five. For those listening, that's the dollar increase per unit rent, and that equals to eighteen grand a month of new income. Okay, so you take eighteen and you do, multiply it by twelve. That's twelve months. There's $216,000 of new net operating income, right? And Reed said, hey, divide that by a six cap, which is 6%. That's, you know, the capitalization rate of money. So like just take, divide that number by 6%. And that's a $3.6 million improvement. You, who wouldn't, you know, find some way to get half a million dollars? Right. Kick, fighting, scratching, begging, borrowing, whatever you got to do to make 3.6 million bucks. And that's like, you know, just, you know, in the multifamily minute, you know, kind of mindset, hey, there's a way to kick it off. And that's why the magic of multifamily, right? So sorry to interrupt you, but highlight those things. It's funny because one of the first multifamily minutes I did was on cap rates and why I hate them. Um, and you know the reason that I hate cap rates is they're totally arbitrary depending on what numbers you're looking at. I mean, and literally the guy that I sold that deal to, the 144 unit deal, I was talking to him and I've sold two deals for him and three deals to him. So, and he's at some point he's owned about 3000 units. And he said, how do you figure out a cap rate again? <laughs> I love I it. Like, Are you kidding me? You figure this out and you own I all of it. So, you know, I did a multifamily minute about the reason I hate cap rates is if you're dealing with the wrong income or the wrong expenses, that NOI, even if you're off 10, 15, $20,000, yeah. 
the number for the price is going to be so far off. That's why you can never take, I just had this conversation with a group today. They're telling me what their NOI was on their, you know, they have a substantial portfolio, but they do everything in-house. They run it all themselves. They don't pay themselves a fee. They don't pay themselves a management fee. They protest the taxes themselves. They go do all the evictions themselves. So they were running their portfolio at like $2,700 a unit. And the market that this is in, we've sold 14 complexes. And of those 14, I took an average of all of them. And the, the lowest price per unit was 3,800. Mm-hmm. And that was the absolute bearable lowest. And they're running, their numbers were 2,700 yeah. Yeah. a unit. So when you take that discrepancy and, and you, you know they're telling me that their NOI is one thing and I'm telling them, I will eat the building if your NOI is, is more than this. Yeah. Or less than this. Yeah. And so, you know, you have that argument that that's what we have all day long. What's the true NOI of a property? The cap rate is is only one sanity check of a number of sanity checks when you're underwriting a deal. Yeah. You mean to get too far off into the cap rate zone. No, no, this is all good because it's good insight, right? So on the point, number of sanity checks in the underwriting, give us more of these nuggets. These are really good, right? Because you just described one operator where they're doing it themselves. So yeah, they're not showing any expenses, which yeah. makes my deals look better, but they're putting in their time. And it's if anybody else buys it, it's going to cost them to do this work because they're not going to well, do it. And, so, and, yeah, give us some more of these nuggets. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing. Even if you as the buyer are saying, okay, I'll do exactly what this guy's doing. I'll run it myself. I won't pay myself. I'll do all of the work. You know, I won't put that in. Even if you're saying, okay, fine, I believe your expenses, you're going to negotiate the purchase and sale agreement, the contract. You're going to spend money on an attorney. You're going to spend money on you know, the inspections. You're going to get the, the appraisal. You're going to do all this. Then you're going to take it to you know, your lender is going to say, wait a minute, we're plugging in 4,600 unit expenses in here. We're not doing this deal. So yeah. you just wasted all that money and time, both as the seller and the buyer. You know, so... The sanity checks that we often use, besides cap rate, expense ratios. I mean, that one's an easy one. You know, you just take what the actual income is, or you take your expenses, divide it by the income, and you get an expense ratio. We typically are seeing those come between, I would say, 46% and 55%, depending. That's a market rate deal. Sure. I mean, if you're running your numbers and, you know, all oh, the cap rates, it, it's in line. This looks in line, the taxes look in line, but my expense ratio is 25%. You're missing something. And then you can go back in and say, oh, we didn't put payroll in, or you know, we didn't put the, the right tax bill in or something like that. So the operating expenses, depending on what market is, you know, you're in and depending on what class property, you know, your expense ratios are key. And if you yeah. get into the affordable world, those expense ratios go significantly higher just because of all the administrative fees and all of the, the react costs and the, you know, the audited financials you have to do. So depending on what area of multifamily you're in, what class type and location, you have to look at those uh, expense ratios. Got it. All right. What else? Any other uh, gotchas we should be looking for when we're doing underwriting analysis? Well, you know, the other thing is, you know, looking at what the rental rates are on a certain property. So, you know, oftentimes we'll say, hey, that guy paid a four cap, you know, in your market for that deal. And then when I look at it, I'll say, well, 
This was owned by the same company for our same owner for 44 years. They didn't care. They didn't have to maximize the rents. They, they wanted a hundred percent, you know, leased building. They were 250 to $300 below market on each of their units. So once these people actually get in and, and do the repairs and upgrades and raise the rents, it ends up being a, a five or six cap deal. So to know the rents and to know what you can get and also be aware of what the neighboring competitive property is doing as far as, are you paying all the utilities as the owner? Are you throwing off, are the individual furnaces versus boiler systems? In the Midwest, that's big, obviously, with the heating up here. Yeah. I imagine a little, little different than Texas, right? The systems, but keep going. Yep. Right, right. And then, you know, the other thing, I'm sure you looked at the, the rubs, the, yep. the resident utility billbacks. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to compare a neighboring property that does not use those and, you know, you need to use them, you have to factor that into where your rents are. Just so you're apples to apples on understanding where your rents are and where they can be. Right on. These are good nuggets, right? And if you're a passive investor listening to this and, and you're like, man, there's a lot of complexity, you're absolutely 100% right. A lot of complexity, which is why they have specific courses, certified commercial investment members, CCIM. They have advisors at SVN. There's a broker system that all of this expertise that, you know, as a passive investor, you're trying to find the best experts to invest your, your money with because you know, even like me as an investor, I don't know everything that Reed and his team knows, but I know that if I can leverage Reed and his team for expertise and advice, that I'm going to have that team to advise me through the situation, right? If you're a new general partner, you know, this is why there's a very big difference between a going off market and finding your own property and doing your own work between having an advisor, somebody to help you, you know, buy and sell, right? And so these are all good nuggets for you. So, and you also mentioned like affordable housing, or I know you have some expertise and I would be amiss if we didn't talk about like section eight, section 42 communities. So what's the expertise there and, and why does it, how does it matter for like, what does it matter to investors like me? Well, you know, well, first let's go with low-income housing tax credit, the light tech deals. Yep. Or section 42 is the tax code. Those properties, many people that are watching this that have been looking at multifamily apartment complexes, even if they're in your neighborhood, you could be driving by a low-income housing tax credit development that it has a pool, it has a clubhouse, Mm -hmm. the units look nice, there's garages, and you would have no idea that it was a low-income housing tax credit development. I hear low-income housing and I'm immediately my head goes to, oh, this is not the class B or A property. It's not nice. It's, you know, that's good for telling us that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a common misperception. I mean, you have a lot of the NIMBYs that come out in a community when they hear that there's going to be a a project here developed with low-income housing tax credits. If it does not have a Section 8 contract, which a new one probably won't, Mm -hmm. all that that means is it's set aside typically for tenants that are 60% or below the median area income. So in a market, depending on what market you're in, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're in kind of high dollar markets, you're talking about a lot of the tenants might be firefighters or police officers or, you know, service industry people that are just not making what the the top of the 
the income, the median income for that area. So it's so just like set aside. Nice, so like nice area of town, great schools, median income's 100K, but blue collar professionals, hardworking individuals that want to live in this area of town, they, you know, don't make 60K maybe, and, and maybe they're working themselves and, you know, wife's at, at the house taking care of children. So that is the ideal scenario. I was like, man, I don't make 60K, but I want to be in a nice area of town, right? Exactly. So that's what the whole program was developed for, is just to provide affordable housing yep. for the general public. Cool. And so that's why, but a lot of the properties that have a, a HAP contract might have been developed or what's called an acquisition rehab where they've been acquired mm-hmm. and then they use tax credit dollars to upgrade the units. Yeah. And they might have a HAP contract, which that's housing assistance payments. That's a project-based section eight. So that's a different, different um, animal. Yeah. Okay. Again. But those right now, those are the gold standard because with what the government's doing, printing money right now, the trillions. <laughs> yeah, right. We're like, no, we don't want Section 8. And then today, all the Section 8 are like, oh, yeah, yeah. payments are going to come in. Right. That, well, that's the thing. So if you're an owner and you have a 150-unit project-based Section 8 with a HAP contract, you get 100% of the rents. You don't have to chase down vouchers. <laughs> you get 100% of the rents in your account each month. Yeah. And lenders, especially during this downturn, you know, during this COVID situation, lenders are very interested in lending on those deals because they know that the that the owners are going to get their check from the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in fact, we were just talking with the group we sold a little over 300 units to here in Chicago. Very aggressive group. They were always at the top of every deal that we gave them, but sometimes by millions. They just told us last week that they've been, I said, how are things going on your acquisitions in the half world? And they said, we are putting offers out at our 2019 underwriting and then going 15% above that and getting beat out. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's the currently today. That's the half right? world right now. Even market rate multifamily right now. We're recording this. It's September the 15th, 2020. And I'm kind of experiencing the same, which are the offers or deals that you're looking at, everyone's expecting there to be these distressed properties and fire sales. And, and I'm like, mm, it feels like cap rates are compressing and it feels like people are offering uh, higher amounts and, and yeah. Yeah. So is that kind of what you're experiencing? Absolutely. This one was, deal, but all the others too. Yeah. Well, but that was the disconnect we saw probably May and June because everybody kind of was freezing. They're saying, okay, everything's shut down. So I also host a monthly national multifamily call internally, and we had some some lenders on. And one of the guys from Fannie Mae that was on, this was the end of March. It's always the last Thursday of the month. So it was the end of March going into April. And they were saying, we expect 25 to 30% collections in multifamily. And then, then everybody said, okay, no, it's going to be May. May is going to be the, the you yeah, know, this is the apocalyptic day. month. And then it was like, oh, well, maybe June. And then it just, you know, now everybody's saying maybe October. Because, <laughs> you know, if you watch NMHC, the rent tracker, which I love their information, where they're, they're tracking 11 and a half million units around the country. Wow. It has not been much different than the 2019 collection. So multifamily is the place to be. As I always say, the reason I'm not in office is because everybody now can office virtually. Retail, everybody's buying virtually. 
you just can't live virtually yet. You need a place to stay. That's why multifamily is going to be here to stay forever. Yeah, that's awesome. It's great to hear. Great sentiments, especially from an expert like yourself. And I really appreciate your time, man. And and uh, let me be respectful of that time. So before we go, is there any you know place you want to send our listeners, viewers to, if they want to get in your world, if they want some you know help finding their property or selling their next one, where should our you know listeners reach out to you? If they want to reach out to me, you can do so. LinkedIn's a great way to reach out just by my LinkedIn portfolio. I can give you my email address, your cell phone, whatever works for you on this podcast. All of it. All you can email it. me anytime at read.bennett at sbn.com. That's R-E-I-D period B-E-N-N-E-T-T at S-V-N, Sam Victor Nancy.com. And my cell number is 773-251-7342. If I can't answer your question, I'll pass you on to guys that know more than me like Abel. <laughs> Mr. Reed Bennett. Yeah. Super awesome. I'll put all of that stuff in the show notes. So that will be there for those that are listening and, and or looking at YouTube or uh, whatever. So all of that information will be there. And is there anything else that, that I didn't ask about anything I didn't touch on that you were excited to share, but I didn't quite get to, is there anything last parting words or nuggets and really take as much time or if not, just let me no, know. no. I mean, you, you asked uh, some of the good questions and, and I probably rambled on about a bunch of different things. But, you know, the, the thing is, and I think you hit it on the head is, especially if you're an, a passive investor, you definitely want to be going with a group that's syndicating a deal that, that has a, a good track record, that knows what they're doing and is well respected in the, in the industry, both among the other brokers and, and other buyers in that market. So make sure you're doing that. Oh, that's great advice. I, I 100% agree. I was, I was a passive investor before I was an active investor and, and I'm invested about 865 doors and the first 400 were like, you know, just a passive. Took all my, all my life savings and put it in the multifamily. I'm a believer, but I absolutely need to be with people that I knew, like, trusted, good track record. And yeah, that's probably the best advice, you know, anybody can provide somebody, man, you know, do some due diligence on the team and then go with trusted, you know, syndicators, right? Absolutely. And like Reed gave, same for the broker on that side. So that's awesome, man. Well, I really sincerely appreciate your time. I'm humbled by the time and good to hear from you, brother. I look forward to seeing more of your multifamily minutes. Look forward to following everything. And again, my name is Abel Pacheco. I'm your host for the Five Talents podcast. If you want to get a hold of us, you can go to our website, 5 t cre.com. And for some of you that are new to passive investing, we've got an ebook that is out. Please go to our website, 5tcre.com forward slash ebook, and just put in here, give us a rating and a review, and we'll give you a free copy. So look forward to uh, talking and thank you very much. Thanks, Reed. Man, thank you very much for all your time. Thanks, Abel. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from other industry experts and commercial real estate investors who followed their dreams and achieved massive success. If you enjoyed this episode, then you're going to want a copy of our Passive Investor's Guide, Tackling Commercial Real Estate the Easy Way. It's the guide we use to invest in $93 million of commercial real estate. It's a 65-page ebook. It's a great resource to learn the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications. And we're going to show you how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. 
So if you subscribe to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating, I'm going to give you a free copy. So take a moment to do that now. We'd appreciate it. And then you can register for the book at 5tcre.com forward slash ebook, 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. Let us know and we're going to send you a copy. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast.